Now this morning I would like to share with you a, a message that I truly believe, especially in the time that we are in, I think more than ever, God has a desire to establish His church. And as we started last week, we shared with you this beautiful graphic that you're going to be seeing a lot. Now, as Molly so eloquently said, this graphic is not a magic key. Um, it is not a strategy. It is the power of become, becoming a person where your gathering community, your growing spiritually and your formation and faith, and where you understand your life is not about just getting, but contributing, where this all intersects. You heard we use the word missional, which from the beginning of time, Jesus looked at ordinary people like you and I. As a matter of fact, if we had to sit with these disciples, we would feel really, um, we would feel really good about ourselves. Some of them were uneducated, rough around the edges. Jesus looked at ordinary people. He says, you will go into all the world. You will live your life in such a way that you'll become a shining light. And so often, especially in our Western church culture, church is something you attend, then for an hour, hopefully, unless somebody gets carried away, um, you are going to observe, evaluate, and go home until next Sunday. And in the Western culture, in the last especially five, seven years, church attendance on the weekend became normalized when you come to church one and a half times a month. So literally about 14, 16 times a year, people would attend observing, evaluating, enjoying, listening. And that was the only point of gathering. But you gather as a, a stranger with strangers. Spiritual growth is a word that is optional, and contribution is what you do when you have nothing else to do in your life. And we believe that when we look at Scripture, the Bible talks about us as followers of Jesus, that when we gather, we are strengthened, encouraged to grow in our faith. We not only contribute in the family and to the family, but our biggest Missional contribution is where we work, where we live, who we know, who we interact with. Because in that moment, we are the living, breathing, visible manifestation of the invisible God. Paul says it this way, Christ in you is the hope of this world. But before we go on, I just want to look at Larry and Mary Ellen and uh, just express our deep sympathy and condolence with your nephew that have passed. He was five, five years old. I want you to know for us, as we look at this, it is a gigantic loss and it's supposed to be. And we mourn with you, grieve with you. But as Paul says, we do not grieve without hope.
because one day when we see it all, Christ himself will wipe the tears from our eyes. So as a church community, we are praying for you, praying for your family, and we are deeply, deeply sorry for this temporarily loss, but heaven's gain in this season. Now, I want to take you down a journey and I want you to expect that my conversation with you is going to be a little different, especially in this season, because I believe that unless we begin to acknowledge the season we are in and understand uh, the plot and the ploy and the, the culture that has shifted around us. And I'm going to use a word, Dan, it's so good to see you. I'm going to use a word that has very negative connotation, but we cannot exclude the word because it has a powerful explanation what I believe is happening to me, to you. Um, and let me explain to you how that has translated before. You would see in history that people would have a missional call uh, from the United States and they would fly to a culture and a tribe in another country in Africa and they would enter a village with a desire to go tell them about Jesus, but often they would misunderstand that the gospel of Jesus rests in a culture, in a people. It celebrates their color, their tradition, their food, their ways, their songs, and their stories. And often what the missionaries will unintentionally do is try to show them how to do American church sing American songs, dress American way, and it's called colonizing. In other words, I come from a country that was colonized by England. That's why we drink tea at 11 o'clock. You look at the, the way that um, South African boys learn to be gentlemen because those who colonized us expected us to act like people in England, right? You get it? So the reason why I'm using the word colonize because I believe that the culture we are in wants to colonize us. It wants us to adopt the ways of that culture. And I want you to understand something. There is always virtue and vice in everything. And the virtue is the cause that you can support, but the root sometimes is extremely divisive. And so I want to take you a little bit back. I want to take you back all the way to, I believe it's 1990, 19, no, it's not even 1994. Let me make sure that I don't frustrate the history people in this place. And they go like, oh my God, he's so ignorant. It, it is 1945 to 1991. There was a cold war. And many of you who are sitting with beautiful gray hair, and remember the Bible says, gray hair is the glory of wisdom. And all the gray-headed people shout, so don't color it too quickly. You're hiding your wisdom. And um, the reason why it was called a Cold War is because America and its allies had a Cold War with the old USSR. The reason why it was called cold, because not a single shot was fired. But the campaign from the Russian side was extremely successful. And the way that they formed a strategy to divide and paralyze America with fear and uncertainty 
was through a word that they coined. It was called disinformation. In other words, what they began to do was spread lies. They spread half-truths and propaganda. And the way they did it was infiltrate journalism, media, and entertainment. And begin to make half-truths normal truth. In other words, they were highly effective. And the, and the whole point of the propaganda from the Russians, the agenda was to exhaust your critical thinking in order to annihilate truth. To totally exhaust your critical thinking. Why am I saying this? Because we are living in a time where our critical thinking is being exhausted right now. And never has there been so many conspiracy theory groups. And you may be in one of those. Just And, and, and it's okay. I'm not preaching against it. But if you are in a group that believe the earth is flat, yay for you, but it should not be a reason why you quit your family and church and cannot go to Thanksgiving. Because what it is doing, it's polarizing people. We are living in a time, I've been in America now for 22 years, and I can tell you, um, fake news has never been so fake. Um, we realize that there is no place to go to actually know what's going on. That's why some people don't want to be vaccinated because they don't know who to believe. If somebody would just tell us the truth. And you say somebody is. Well, somebody is not and they sound equally convincing. Right? Um, so in that moment, what we are facing is journalism that is um, leaning and biased to the left and to the right and to the center and to the top and the bottom. And it's reaching havoc in our society because half-truths destroy integrity. Come on. Can I get a amen? So you say, Pastor Pierre, where are you going with this? You see, I believe that if we do not confront lies according to Scripture, then we are celebrating truth decay and alternative facts. Because right now as we are sitting here, it is interesting that we are all affected by what I'm about to show you. Because what is interesting, and I did my best with this graphic, there are many layers to the complexity of our culture. Many layers. And one of the first thing that we are seeing right now um, where we live, and what is interesting, America is so big, the country Marlies and I come from is, is smaller than Texas. Um, America is so big, uh, the more south you drive, the less impact of what we're about to discuss. The more north you go into Canada, they are already two years down the pike with what's coming our way right now. The very first thing that we're experiencing in the last two years is polarization. Polarization simply means on a scale of zero to ten, um, none of us agree on everything. If you're married and you know it and don't agree, raise your hand. Come on. 
Let me see. Come on, Greece campus. If you're married and you can't agree on how to even take the car into the driveway, can you raise your hand? If you can't even agree to put the lid back onto the toothpaste after 30 years, raise your hand. Right? Um, but usually people's disagreements was my, uh, four to six, so they just irritated each other. But what is happening in culture right now, it's no longer four to six. It's way on the spectrum of zero and way on ten. People feel so polarized right now. They have such strong feeling that is so far apart that they are willing to break friendships, family. They're willing to walk out of a church because people just don't see it and don't believe it. The amount of email and video clips that people send me to introduce me to the real truth is staggering, laughable, and I'm not watching any of it, so stop it. Because at the end of the day, all you're trying to do is, I believe this so much, you should too, and preach it. I can tell you this, if I preach everything that you believe, we would have only you and me left and a lot of donuts. <laughs> Polarization, it is so terrible right now. The second one that is happening that is so dangerous is suspicion and authority. But it has a reason. Because right now, um, and I'm not referring to anything, listen. Usually, I think whenever you stand in a place of authority, you are bound by integrity whether people like it or not. When you can count in the hundreds the lies that political leaders are telling every day, there is a problem why we are suspicious of authority. And um, we hear this about COVID, and then a month later, they go like, this is not what I meant. You go like, why couldn't you just mean what you said? But here is the troubling thing that we are realizing, that all authority is being questioned, including the authority of church leaders, and rightfully so, because we have seen so many church leaders that has been colonized by political parties, and they are preaching the doctrine of nationalism, like the, the, world, is, the world powers are going to save us. Can I tell you one thing? I refuse to give up what is sacred for the ways of man. I do not believe that the left, the right, the center, the up and the down can save us. You can vote for anyone you want. I can guarantee you they're going to lie and fail you because they are going to play an agenda. The only hope I have is to pray for our leaders that they will have an encounter with Jesus Christ. That they will come to a center point of truth. I, there is no way. Be careful when you put your politics with your beliefs. Because Jesus said there are two things that will destroy our lives. And that is the yeast of religion and the yeast of politics. So don't make politics your religion. Because if Jesus were to stand here, he would expose the agenda of man. Can I tell you something else? What makes this so terrible is what I just said. Many of you just decided, I'm not coming back to this church. Because you go like, what's your game, Pierre? 
What are you saying? In other words, the authority of church leaders does not matter. The moment they stop you and say, you cannot do that to your family. You go like, who are you to tell me what to do? I will just take you out. And by the way, the Baptist has got better donuts than you. I'm out of here. Come on. If you know it's the truth, say amen. Let me tell you another one. Our world has become extremely adversarial. What does that mean? In the past, we irritated each other. Now we make enemies from brothers. Enemies from sisters. I, I, I cannot tell you that many of you don't even speak to your family because you can't agree on what's important. The only thing that's important is Christ, the cross of Jesus, and the God that loves us from the beginning of time. For the rest, it's up to your guests and mine. Do not let adversary tear the church apart. Do you understand? I spoke to a pastor. 800 people left his church because of earth, flat earth theory, and the one who let that whole movement con uh, uh, accused him for not preaching the truth. Because there's one scripture in the book of Job that God says, what are the four pillars the earth stands on? They tore the church apart because of a theory. Because this adversarial thing, it's amazing. The woke culture and the social media terrorism has created a cancel culture that you are so scared to say anything because in one second you can be canceled. Can I tell you, may God give us grace that we will stand with Jesus because his word is offensive. His words are dangerous. I don't like much of it in there. I'm offended that Jesus would say some of these things. Jesus is not offended that I'm offended. Because he says, I did not come to bring peace. I came to disrupt the, the colonization of your heart. I came to disrupt the poison that you don't even know you are drinking. And first I make you angry, then I make you think, then I bring conviction, then I bring repentance. So if you're angry and you know it, shout amen. Of course, let me give you one more. The effects of grief and loss. Anaji, would you please play for me? My dad is 89. He's been pastoring his church now for 59 years. Every time I call, someone else in their congregation in South Africa died of COVID. Yesterday, he, he let me know that a young girl in her early 20s committed suicide. She felt hopeless and she hung herself in a tree. They've now buried 13 people in their congregation. What is so terrible that their restrictions are so harsh that people can't even attend the funeral. They cannot even go to the funeral home to go view the body. Do you understand that the rituals around funerals is part of the, the gateway of grief? In other words, to go through the whole process, grief finds a passage. That's why when you, when you grieve, cry, be angry, be disappointment. 
deal with it. Talk to God about it. Lament about it. Because it's the passage of grief. Many of you have lost family. Predictability. Stability. Jobs. Friends. As a pastor, the amount of people that have left this congregation because I didn't proclaim one political party over another. Because I didn't do enough public declarations around what matters to them the most. Simply just walking away. The grief is so intense. And I want you to know when grief does not have a passage, it manifests on the inside of the human heart in a really complicated fashion. Now all of what I just said is what is in this room Greece campus, Monroe community, Albion community, all over the world. Now, layer on top of that, one more thing. And that is all the complexity in our culture around what we call the church, the gathering of believers. Do you know that Christians in the United States used to be the majority? People that believe in scripture, practice scripture, gather in churches, was about 65% of people. Of young adults under the age of 30 was 49%. Right now, in the Northeast of the United States, about 6% of young adults under the age of 30 says they have a vibrant faith. Can you understand what is happening? Can you understand the danger of what that even means? The, the other part that is a reality around us, and, and there's a reason why I'm sharing this, is that the place of honor of being a church has become a place of shame. What, what do I mean by that? Do, did, do you know that... When you look at the past that scientists and culture makers and artists and presidents and political leaders were Christians, I read something so interesting. Now imagine um, if anybody working in the banking industry just wave at me. Let me just see. Anybody? Anybody? I see some hands going up. Now the Bank of England, um, in, uh, in, in the early um, 18... 1900s, early 1900s, the Bank of England would open every day at 8.30, but they opened officially at 9, but you had to be there at 8.30. And everybody from the cleaners to the bank manager to the tellers had to gather on the main floor and pray for 30 minutes. Now imagine Wells Fargo says, you've got to arrive half an hour early. We'll pay you because we're going to pray together. Prayer has been removed from everyone, everywhere. Did you know that Harvard University founded in 1636 was founded and its sole purpose was to train missionaries and pastors to populate pulpits? That was the very foundation of it all. The pastors had a high standing in the community when they spoke. They spoke the word of God and people listened. But today, most people want nothing to do with church. They call it organized religion. The church is not seen as the solution. It's seen as part of the problem. And, and, and to cap it, there, there was a widespread uprising and hostility towards the church. Do you know that your neighbors, 
that may not go to church, when they see you get in your church and your car to come to church, in the past they thought you were just weird because the bulls are playing, right? May the Lord help them today. They just thought you weird. Do you know that right now they think that you cultish and dangerous? That you are the problem with what is wrong with the world. And we've got to understand the, the, the atmosphere that is around us. And, and, and then I want to give you one more thing that is a layering that is so disturbing. But it's a reality. But in the midst of the word disturbing, I want you to know you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God will reign. Can I tell you, since the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom has always found a way. Can I tell you something? That the kingdom of God has been through tougher times that we and we are facing. They try to snuff it out, kill it, destroy it, put it in the dark ages. But the kingdom of God always rises. Our God has never been defeated. His church has never been defeated. Opposed, yeah, but not defeated. Listen. There's been three seasons in church. Pre-Christianity was on the Roman Empire. The Christianity didn't even exist. Uh, there were a lot of temples, uh, idol worshiping, uh, prostitutes in the temple. Some of the men go like, dang, that sounds like a temple. Uh, it's terrible. Uh, babies were offered. People brought their infants to be sacrificed so the gods would bless their existence. And, and then came Christianity. And Christianity didn't come through angels. It came through ordinary people living missional lives. Ordinary people that gathered to every day in homes. And they grew spiritually and they contributed not only of their time, but their resources. They gave their life. And all of a sudden, we're in a Christianized culture where the world sees Christianity as the norm of existence. And I just shared with you the Bank of England. Every school opened with prayer. Bibles were everywhere. But that's no longer the case, church. We are now living in a post-Christian culture. You say, Pastor Pierre, what does post-Christian culture means? It is not pre-Christian, it's post-Christian, which means this. It is an attempt to move beyond Christianity while simultaneously want to feast on the fruit of what Scripture promised. They want peace, but they'll get it through meditation. They want joy, but they give it through spending. In other words, it's seeking the same thing. Listen, it attempts to retain the comfort of faith, but it want to avoid at all costs the commitment, the repentance, and the restraints that the gospel place on the will of man to follow his own desires. Listen, post-Christianity, post-modern Christianity has at the highest regard human justice, yet at the highest regard personal freedom and importance. Save the world, but don't tell me what to do with my life. In Mark's language, he says this is not new because they want the things of the kingdom, but they don't want the king of the kingdom. Now, this is so interesting. 
Are you still with me? Come on, just shout, yeah. Why am I doing this? Because unless we understand what's under the surface, we are silently being colonized. Because if we say God is just love, yeah, He's that too, but He's not only love. He's a God of justice. He's a God that is holy. He's a God that is righteous. He's a God that exposes religion and politics. He's a God that stands with God. He doesn't stand with any man's agenda. Listen, this is what post-Christian culture is saying. The thing we need to be saved from is the idea that we need to be saved. I don't need no savior. The thing we need redemption from is the idea that we need to re redemption. Jesus didn't have to die for me. That's ridiculous. I don't need anybody to die for me. That's gross. I'm a good person. The, the, the other thing is, the only sin is to tell people that there is sin. Who are you to tell me that it's a sin? That is a post-Christian culture mindset. Can I give you one more? Which means the only way to be free is to be liberated from Christianity. Ultimate freedom is to have no religion placed on your life. I want you to know Christianity is not a religion. It's a reality of a God who sent His Son and loves us. So, so where does this take us? Well, you know, Jesus came and He was extremely offensive because we are comfortable with our beliefs. And Jesus spoke about the devil and evil influence and darkness. And we go like, oh, it's a myth. Every Disney movie has a bad character. There's no such thing as a devil. As a church family, I want you to know, scripture has more war-like conversation than picnic under the tree conversation. He says, the enemy is out like a roaring lion seeking to destroy you. Uh, there is an enemy to your soul. He was there from the beginning. And you've got to understand the way that he works. His, Jesus says, uh, Paul says these words. Come on, let's read it together. But now I'm afraid. Come on. Now I'm afraid that as the serpent, uh, the serpent is the devil, Lucifer, is that spelled correct? I think so. Um, tricked Eve. How, how, how did he do it? How did he do it? Deceived her. He deceived her. Let me, let me ask a question. How many of you have seen the magicians cut a woman in half? Come on, come on. how many of you see that? How many of you go like, I know there's a trick, but I don't see it, so where's the blood? right? Because it's so convincing, but it's trickery. He says, Eve with his wiles, that means his evil strategies, so that your hearts and mind will be tricked, and you will stray from the single-minded love and pure devotion to God. I want you to know that is the colonizing of our hearts, being deceived by a way that seems so normal. L let me move on and, and just tell you how I believe he is doing this right now. He's doing it by bathing us in half-truths everywhere around us. He has made us so accustomed that there is no truth. And if you are sitting here and say, there is no truth, uh, that is... 
the effects of deep poisoning that plays right into the enemy's arsenal. And the way he does that is he brings deceptive ideas to disordered desires. How many of you have desires that you know you should never act on? Come on. Come on. There's only like a hundred really honest people. You know, everybody is stuck in their brain at a certain age. Mine's 18. To this day, when I get on an escalator, I see that button that says stop. I've pressed that before. It is incredible. It's so funny to see people come to a screeching halt and to go like, I don't know what just happened. Ask my wife to this day when we walk through the airport, she says, don't you dare touch it. Because there's a, there's a kid in me. And I know I should not do that. And you know, when you're in certain places, there's desires. You go like, no, no, look away. You can't act on those things. But you see, Satan has these deceptive desires that goes into our disorderly, um, dis, um, disordered desires. And he wants to normalize sin in our society. Everything is okay. God is a God of grace. Can I tell you why? God is so vehemently opposed to sin because it's so corrosive and cancerous to your soul. You can say it's normal, but every day it is taking more life, joy, peace from you than what you can ever imagine. God opposes sin because of what it does to your heart, not because he wants to spoil your fun. And so the question that I want to close with is a very simple question. Jesus exposes Satan and he says this. And when he talk about you, he is talking about the religious leaders that have been colonized. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer. He wants to kill from beginning, not holding the truth for there is there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a what? He's a liar and he is the father of lies. And I want to say to you, if you're opposed to exposing lies, you are joining the powerful nuclear power of the enemy. He's a liar. And the only way that he will get to us is lying. And he doesn't lie he deceives with half-truths. Did God really say? Church, that's why right now in this world, there is such an attack against Scripture and the Bible that it's just poetry. You can't trust it. I said to somebody the other day, if we have to remove everything out of the Bible that we don't like, we're going to have two pages by the end of the century. Can I tell you something? Scripture has been unchanged, unchallenged. People were thrown in a lion's den because of Scripture. They were in a fiery furnace because of Scripture. They were burned on stakes and fed to lions, sword and heart, died for their faith. To this day in other countries, they are decapitated because of Scripture. And I want to say this, if people cannot be truthful, who can be and what has stood the test of time as a truth that is able to save humanity and I'm holding it in my hands and if this is wrong, I will go 
with what is wrong and stand before a living God. But I have nothing to go on. No word, no philosophy of people. It is tainted. Even if this confronts what makes me uncomfortable, I have to deal with it and be unafraid to declare it. And what we do with it is between us and God. But let me finish this off because the simple question is this. How, how do we stand against this flood that comes in? How? As I look around this room in Greece campus online, how? You say, well, I have a degree in philosophy. One of the most well-known uh, philosophers, psychologists, psychiatrists, that has written the manual for the FBI says human beings are the worst lie detectors there is. Even a dog can smell a lie, but humans cannot. Your wisdom and my wisdom is not enough for us to walk in truth. Because the Bible says the human heart is most deceiving. That's why marriage is not about just compatibility. It's about confronting what the other one does not see. You say, you are selfish. You go, don't do me. I'm selfish. You married me this way. No, she's there to show you what is destroying you. If you like that and you know it, say amen. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let me make a case. I'm done. The Bible says this, God alive church. If he says God alive, that means there must be churches. And it's not a building and organization. This is a building. You and I are living stones. But I think you can be a dead stone. Here's a question. If everybody were to pray as much as you pray, read scripture as much as you read, give as you give, worship as you give, will that church be alive? Will it be alive? Because the Bible says God, God's way to introduce freedom to the world is through God alive people that are the bastion of truth. That's why we cannot let ourselves be colonized. This Christian life is a great mystery for exceeding our understanding. But some things are clear enough. You know what I love what he says this. Then he says, following Jesus together in a community helps us to discern Jesus' truth from evil lies. When we come together like this, we are confronted and as your pastor, I want you to know I'm working every day not to be colonized. Every day. That's why when I don't reply some of your emails, it's, I don't want to be colonized. I don't want to be infected. I, I, I don't want to be put in restraints. And I think with a cancer culture and our desire to make the gospel palatable and understand it is an offense, sometimes we go too soft when we should actually hang the banner. And I sit in the chair where you sit and say, God, we don't like it, but help us to understand what you are seeing in it. Because when we are together like this, we are 
in this and it's confronted in us and cultivated in us. And that's why growing together is so important when we gather together. Second thing is we encourage and strengthen each other in our faith. You know what is so beautiful when somebody says, keep running, keep praying, keep going. Four women sitting right here in the front. A couple of months ago, they decided to take this place. Caroline's been here forever. She has not moved her seat, but only you have moved your seat. You guys are here. You know why they're here? Not by accident. I think, and I don't know if that's the truth, they've decided, let's support him. Let's pray for him, right? And when I see them here at church, I feel bold. I feel loved. Why? Because they are for me, not against me. They know my heart. And in the same way, have you ever considered the fact that in our modern-day American culture, you come one and a half times and then you say, well, I didn't like the songs and the donut sucks and the coffee is really diluted. They such cheapskates. And then you come again in a month's time. Have you ever considered? Hey, I said to Carrie, Carrie, how many times have you heard people say, oh, well, I don't like groups. I get nothing from it. Have you ever considered you're not in a community group to get something out of it? You are the giving. You are the giver of life in that community group. The very pain that you have been through in life is the testimony that those in the group need. The strength that you have, the fortitude that you have. Someone in that group needs that from you. You are not there to just take. You show up. That's why we cannot sing louder. We cannot put more instruments on this. The Bible says, come and bring a sacrifice of praise into the house of God. Worship only gets better when the family of God worships better. If you want the anointing to come and feel something, bring the anointing with you. When you worship, things are transformed around you. When you touch heaven with your singing and with your heart, the people around you go home and they say, I feel so good. It's not the preaching. It's not the music. It's not the songs. It was you who worshiped the living God. You deposited and gave of yourself. That's why you can't afford to do it just 12 times a year. If ever we need to show up every weekend with a notebook and accelerate exposing and growing and worshiping together. And here's the last one. Then I'm really, really done. God wants a robust community of deep relationships. Come on, shout deep relationships. Deep relationships. All the introverts are going, oh, dear God, where is he going? Please don't tell me to hug. Oh, I've got COVID. Don't. All right. You should never be unknown in your family. God wants you to be known by name. But you can't leave after three weeks for stupid reasons to become another stranger somewhere else. Because if you are family, your family encourage you, your family confronts you in love because they know you're not gonna run somewhere else. Your family knows you by name. And you see, the Bible says this robust community is the beautiful resistance to the toxicity of our culture. But Jesus said these words. My last scripture. Come on, shout amen. Last scripture. Can we read this together? Here's another way to put it. 
Jesus' words. It's in red in the Bible. You are here to be light. I love this. Bring out the God colors in this world. You know what the God colors are in this world? It's not to point a finger and tell everybody what they're doing wrong. It does not work. They don't believe you. The God colors in this world is the spirit of beautiful love. In Dutch, Liefde. When we love each other from a deep place. When I can preach a sucky message and you go, I love his sucky messages so much. When somebody takes your parking spot, you take the worst spot because you honor them more than yourself. You love the world. You love the people you say, I'll never be caught with them in public. You love them because the image of Christ is in them. Bible says God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with it as public as a city on a hill. And then he says this, huh, if you make your light, if I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Then this is my final one. I love this. Now that I've put you there on the hilltop on the light stand, shine, 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 shine. How do I shine? Keep an open house means keep an open heart to this world. Do not be poisoned by QAnon, wake, left, right. Don't be colonized. Don't be religiousized. That's not even a word. It should be. Don't be. Don't be. Don't let people buy you. Buy your convictions. Buy your love. Keep an open house. Be generous with your lives. If you cannot be generous with your money, you cannot be generous with your life. Be generous with others. People, prompt people to open up with God is a result of a generous people that walk in the love of God the Father. So Pastor Peter, what does this all mean? See, I'm, I used to say Pastor P. Diddy, but now I'm older. You can't be P. Diddy forever, can you now? The Father's house wants to become a church that practices the ways of Jesus. We want to gather and be known in community and bring our part to it. We want to grow in Christ. When there's a pre-meeting, I want 80% of you to show up and know how to pray. I want you to get a Bible again and the pages become messy again. Your biggest irritation should be, why is the marker bleeding through the back page? Remember those days? Where you can quote scripture. The word of God is sweet. Where you are growing into the image of Christ. And when your life is contributing here, everywhere in the world, and your life is filled with stories of being missioned for Jesus. Church, I believe with all of my heart that in this time where we are surrounded by burning trees and ashes, 
that there is a shoot that is growing of a people that will become a robust community.